Amen, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Living Waters. My name is Josh, and we are so thankful that you guys are here. If you have a copy of God's Word, open it up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 42 through 47 together. So Acts 2, and it's a privilege to read the Word of God, right? Amen? To be able to do that publicly, not getting arrested or thrown in prison for reading God's Word, that's a good thing. So praise the Lord for the privilege that it is to read. So let's start in verse 42. Let's read through verse 47. This is the Word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Praise God for the reading and the hearing of his word. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray. Father, what a privilege and honor it is to be in your presence to read your word, to sing with the body of Christ at Living Waters. What, a, what an awesome thing. Thank you for the fellowship that has already taken place this morning. Thank you for communion. God, we eagerly anticipate the blessing of your good hand upon us. Jesus, we ask that you be made famous and big. Holy Spirit, have your way in your church that you have planted, that you have watered, that you have caused to increase, Lord, may you have your way among us. So, Lord, we pray that you would melt the hearts of stone, cause minds to think and see you, Christ, maybe for the first time. Be with the hearts of every believer that is weary, tired, worn down, Would you spring them up with joy and with refreshment and with um, the power of the Holy Spirit? Lord, would you do great things? May victories be won this morning in the name of Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. So we are finishing our sermon series in Acts called The Birth of the Church. It has been super fun to go through the, the book of Acts with you and to dig into truth And I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I've learned a lot. By God's grace, you'll continue to learn in the book of Acts. I'd encourage you to keep reading Acts if you you have that time and that opportunity. Um, Some of you are really great gardeners, right? Some of you are awesome at putting seeds in the ground. In fact, we live in a very agricultural state. The state of Iowa is, you could almost call farmers gardeners, almost, right? Farmers would not like that term very much, but gardeners, some of you are outstanding at putting seeds in the ground. Some of you are just average and most of you are terrible at it. Most of you are terrible like me. Can I get a bad gardener? Amen. You know, like most of us, we, we really lean on the good gardeners 
to like bail us out. You know what I'm saying? So like good gardeners, what do they do? They put the seed in the ground. They know what to put in the ground. They know when to put it in the ground. They know what kind of ground they're supposed to put it in. And, and normally they are really good at doing all those things. Great gardeners are also consistent waterers. This is where most gardening goes to die. Amen. You just stop doing the obvious thing, which is to water the seed that you put in the ground. Hence, 90 plus percent of my gardening fails over the years have been my lack of diligence to put water on seed. So many of us fail. Great gardeners don't fail. They are very steady. Some of them even have systems like irrigation systems that they have cognated in their own mind or they've created and it, they, they've just made a really cool system to get water to their seeds. And then great gardeners are also great producers. So great gardeners always produce a lot. In fact, they produce more than what they need often. And you will normally see a great gardener with buckets full of tomatoes in October or September and they're coming to hopefully your house, right? To say, hey neighbor, I've got all these extra tomatoes. Could you take some of these off our hands? And then all the bad gardeners are like, yes, I will totally take those. Totally cheated the system. Life hack. Didn't even have to put any effort into it. And I get the tomatoes, right? The great gardeners sell their stuff or they share their stuff. And that's how it always is. Now, as we come to this text of scripture, I want to use that metaphor for you this morning, that the Holy Spirit is the great divine Trinitarian gardener on the church. Okay, so the church is birthed in Acts chapter 2 and it started and literally the Holy Spirit baptizes all the believers and everybody's speaking in tongues and doing all these amazing things, but that the Holy Spirit not only baptizes the church, but he plants the church. He puts seed into the ground in the church, the essential seed that needs to go into the church, and he waters that seed, and then he increases the church. And so the church is the field of God. Have you ever read that before in your Bibles? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, you are God's field. We are literally the field of God. Have you ever viewed yourself as a field before? Probably not. But the Bible very clearly says that the church is God's field. And the Holy Spirit is the planter and the waterer and the increaser or the producer in the church. And that's my big idea this morning for you in this text is that the church is planted, watered, and producing. That's the title of the message. The big idea is this, is that the Holy Spirit plants waters and produces supernatural increase in the early church and by God's grace still today. Now, as we are looking at the Holy Spirit planting, watering, and increasing the church, boy, do we ever need this message in today's American Christianity. We need this message. Why? Well, because Christianity today is either super fundamentalist, like, like just rules all the time, Jesus plus something else, 
earn your righteousness, be good, do good. Or it's this completely um, antinomian, which means no law experience, where it's just Christianity is whatever you want it to be. Pick your own version of Christianity today in America. Just slap the label of Jesus on it and call it Christianity and don't ask me any questions. This passage of scripture hits like a ton of bricks right into our face to say that the church of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, watered and produced by the Spirit of God, produces a type of Christian that is neither fundamentalist nor antinomian, but is right in the middle saying, I am happily, joyfully Jesus committed. I am happy about following the word of God. I've got joy, 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 joy down in my what? Heart. There is such a need for this in Christianity. For Christians to actually be joyful in their souls about the truth that they stand for. And the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us in this text this morning to show us how he has planted, watered, and caused the church to be the most amazing and dynamic gathering in any society ever in the history of humanity. So, how did the Holy Spirit plant, water, and produce this first generation church? That's the question we're going to ask. How did the Spirit of God do that? We're going to see three activities that the Holy Spirit did. And we're going to make application into our lives. So activity number one is this. The Holy Spirit planted devotion. The Holy Spirit planted devotion. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. The early church was filled with the Holy Spirit and they were dedicated. They were they were absolutely devoted, right, to certain things. The word of God, fellowship of the saints, communion or breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, here's the word devoted. Let's break that down. The word devoted means to adhere to or to glue yourself to or to persist obstinately in something. It's, it's a real powerful word. So the church was literally devoting or gluing themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit into certain values or into certain uh, truths. And this was happening all the time. So the church was um, devoting themselves. And you look at the verb devoted there. It is in the imperfect tense. Now the imperfect tense for all of you English lovers is a idea of continual action. So the imperfect tense is this. You can reread it like this. They were, the church was continually devoting themselves to, right? The word of God, prayer, the fellowship. It's not just this one-time Christian thing where like, dude, I read the Bible. That was exhausting. Glad I never have to do that again as a Christian, you know? Or I went to that one prayer meeting that one time and now I'm super tired because that was really intense and glad I don't have to do that again. No, the imperfect tense is telling you, you are committing to this over and over and over again. The word of God, the fellowship of the saints, communion and prayer. 
So let me just run through those, those values that the New Testament church was committing themselves to. Okay. The first one was teaching, teaching. They were, they were absolutely devoted to teaching. Now this word is didaske in the Greek. It means to give instruction, both formal and informal. So think sermon, think Bible class that you're learning from, think small groups where you are interacting in the word, think counseling where you're getting one-on-one instruction in the word. This is the word, informal or formal, the church was dedicated to the teaching of the word of God. Now, this is really important because this church had just experienced what? A miracle of the Holy Spirit, tongue speaking, all these crazy things happening. And yet, what is the church mainly committed to? They are mainly committed to the word of God. What has the church been committed to for 2,000 years? Or what has the church supposed to be committed to for 2,000 years? See it very clearly, the teaching of the apostles, the word of God. So I'm just here to tell you that if we're going to be a church where the spirit of God is alive and at work, we must become a church that is filled with the word of God. Amen? So if those of you who have not read your Bible this week, it's not too late to start. Get in the word this afternoon. You want to know why your stress levels are rising higher and higher and higher? Probably because there's an absent uh, presence of the word of God in your life, probably. Normally, when I talk to people who are struggling in my counseling caseload, if they're struggling hard, I'll say, how is the word of God? How's your reading? And they're like, ah, I knew I forgot something. You got to read. And church, we may, may we ever be a church that is dedicated to the word of God. Amen. It is the thing we have to adhere ourselves to. We got to glue ourselves to because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. In a culture that doesn't want the word of God, we must be the church that says we want it, we're hungry for it, we thirst for it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we need the word of God in our lives. Praise God. They were dedicated to the word. Secondly, they were also dedicated to the fellowship. The fellowship. That means community or communion. So the early church co- committed themselves to relational connection with one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sowing the seeds, planting the seeds of relational fellowship connection. Because if two people have something in common, you have fellowship, koinonia in the Greek. Now, the most important fellowship you can have in this life is with Jesus. There is nobody greater. Your fellowship should be with Jesus. And if you read 1 John chapter 1, Our fellowship is with Jesus, and then our fellowship is with one another as we agree upon who Jesus is. So the early church was planted in relationships, and some of you might say, well, I don't really like people very much. (laughs) And all God's people said, amen, amen. Here's Here's my exhortation to you as a pastor. Lovingly, I don't care. I don't care that you don't like people. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you must like people. You must. If you and you and somebody else have Jesus in common, you can have fellowship with one another. Koinonia. Now, does that mean every relationship has to be like, hey, let me tell you every deep and dark secret I've ever had about everything in my life? 
No, no, don't be weirdo about what I'm telling you. The church is a mega church overnight. 3,000 people, 3,000. Do you think everybody had one-on-one conversations going with Peter? No, that is impossible and very unhealthy. What we're saying is you must connect with the fellowship people. Who are you going to connect with at church? I don't know. Stay and hang out after church and see what connections happen. Some of you are like shotgun bullets, like just coming straight out after church. You are like, pastor, thanks for the word. I'm out. I don't want to talk to any of these people. Can I just tell you, I don't care whether you feel like you can connect or not. You must connect. The thing that is beautiful about what God is building at Living Waters is that we've planted a church and that church has grown. And and by the grace of God, you get to make connections with each other. So stay and hang out for 15 minutes. And if you're like super introspective, just look at the wall or something for 15 minutes. Like, I hope nobody talks to me. I hope nobody talks to me. (laughs) Do something. I don't know what you're going to do, but do something. But 1 John 3.14 says, we, we know we've passed out of death to life because we love the brethren. How do you know if you've gotten really saved by Jesus? You love the brethren. That's how you know. 2 Corinthians 13.14, the Apostle Paul talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit being with his audience. So the early church was full of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit filling them, planting them, was planting them in relationship with one another, praise God. The breaking of bread. They also did the breaking of bread, which is communion. Literally, shared food. Communion. The phrase is mainly talking about the communion elements, the bread and the wine. Now, the Holy Spirit started the church. The church adhered or glued themselves to the communion. How did that happen with 3,000 people? That's a lot of crackers and, for us, grape juice to hand out, right? It's a lot. Well, they didn't do it in the temple. They did it house to house. So they would have what are called love feasts. They would, believers would get together in people's homes and they would have a meal together. They would actually share a whole meal. And at the end of the meal, they would participate in communion. They would remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they would do that together. And communion was a staple in the early church. The Holy Spirit planted them to have communion with one another so that they might be strengthened in their common confession of Jesus. We're doing communion this morning. Yes. It's one of my favorite Sundays. We do it once a month because that's what the Bible says to do. Okay. It doesn't say once a month. That's a man-made tradition. But you're doing communion this morning. Why is it exciting? Because corporately we're gathered together at 8.30 and now at 10 to publicly affirm one another in our common confession, our common agreement in Jesus. So the, the, the bread that you take and the cup that you take have such awesome significance. It is a priority of the church to gather around this. Because let's be honest, most of us sin, most of us struggle, most of us need a reset button and communion is a great reset button. Amen? Because you see other people going back and like, okay, praise God, I am not alone in this Christian life. Other people also are believing in Christ, confessing Christ, 
celebrating Christ and I get to be a part of that. And they did that house to house. Praise the Lord. They also prioritized prayers, the prayers. The prayers is just a, an address to God. The early church valued prayer. They, they, they absolutely prioritized prayer as a value. And they did this in lots of different ways. So they did small group prayers, ten, groups of 10 or, or, or smaller. They did big prayers at the temple. They also did one-on-one prayers. People were fasting and praying individually and they were doing that. The church valued and prioritized prayer. And I would say this, the Holy Spirit planted the church to pray. How's your prayer life? Right? Pastor, it's been really bad this week. That's okay. Make it right. Respond to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has planted us as a church to be a praying people. We must pray. I don't care how you do it. Fast and pray. Pray in your closet. Go on a prayer walk. I like those. Um, pray in a small group. Pray in your small group as a, as a uh, you know, small group ministry. Pray here on Sunday mornings at 6.30 with Susie Grismore and Reuben and Zach, amen, and the prayer team. I don't care how you do it. Do it. Pray. These are essential things. Teaching, fellowship, bread, and prayer. Teaching, fellowship, bread, and prayer. These are the essentials of church. Now cross-reference that with what America Christianity tells you are important. What should we be committed to? What should we adhere to? What should we really push? Well, I, I, I would say teaching, fellowship, bread, and prayer. That's what we need to be doing. Everything else, as valuable as it is, is secondary in the mind of God. And may we glue ourselves to what is essential at Living Waters, may it ever be, that we give ourselves to teaching, fellowship, bread, and prayer. Amen. Second activity, not only did the Holy Spirit plant devotion in the church, but he planted and watered with generosity. This will be my quickest point of the morning. The Holy Spirit watered with generosity. So you can see verse 43 through 45. Awe came over every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Many wonders and signs. The miracles were amazing. How cool to be a part of the early church because you're seeing miracles happen by the hand of the apostles and this is powerful. We're watching this. Now, why did the apostles have signs and wonders accompany their sermon? I would like just one, amen? i just like one. Lord, give me one sermon where I can preach the word and then after, heal somebody. That would be, come on, that would be really cool. That'd be amazing, right? Amen, church? Yeah, then there would be like a healing line and all that stuff. I've never have it, had it happen. Maybe once, someday, but probably not. The Lord's probably looking down and saying, no, no, not you. No, we're not doing that with you. I would understand. Miracles and powerful signs were happening through the apostles. Why? To validate their message about Jesus. Their message needed to be validated. If they're saying, hey, trust in in the resurrected Jesus, give your whole life to this, surrender your soul to this, confess your sin, and ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior. If they're asking, they need validation that this message that they're saying is true. And the signs and the wonders existed to validate the message of what they were sharing. And they had all things in common, everything 
belonged together and they had unity together and that unity produced generosity. Okay, so mark it every single time in scripture, the spirit of God, when he is watering his church, he will bring unity to his church. And when unity happens, generosity will flow right after unity. Now, you've all been a part of churches that weren't unified, probably at some point in your life, where you saw churches argue, you saw churches at each other's throat, you saw people not getting along, you saw people confessing Christ, but going out and living like the devil. You've seen these things in church, and you're like, what in the world? This is bad. Here's the reality. That is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is a bunch of sinners coming and finding unity underneath the banner of Jesus Christ. And when that unity comes, it's beautiful. And the overflow of that unity is generosity. And this church began selling all their possessions, literally unloading or selling all their land. This word specifically, possessions, is connected to real estate, So if you're a real estate agent or you know somebody who is or you're involved in real estate, this is your word, real estate person. They were selling all of their real estate and they were distributing or dividing up all the profits and getting those into the hands of people who had need. Can you imagine selling your house right now, tomorrow? Putting it on the market, selling it tomorrow. And everybody's like, why are you selling your house? Well, my brother or sister in Christ has this need. What? Yeah, my brother and sister in Christ, they have this need, and I, I want to meet that need. I want to help be a part of the solution. You know that's loco, right? That's crazy. That's exactly what was going on in the early church. The Holy Spirit was watering the church in such a way that all these out-of-towners coming from every rich direction were like in need, like, hey, I'm from so-and-so country, I need some help. And the believers were selling their, their possessions in order to meet the need. This is incredible. Now, picture the church. It's a 3,000-person megachurch. This is a massive, massive thing And everybody's just selling at tremendous personal cost to themselves. And they are giving it to the apostles so the distribution can be made. This is not governmental socialism. Can I get a witness? This is not that. Some people are going to name the name of Christ. They're going to say, see, Christianity argues for socialism. It's right here. Hey, comrade. You know, (laughs) sorry, I had to say it. I had to say that. Jim Pulse, that's for you. But... This is not socialism. This is generosity. Who are they giving to? People are voluntarily selling their stuff to voluntarily meet the need of people who are obviously in need. And here's the continuous sense. This verb and these participles are continuous in the same way verse 42 was. So you could almost say it this way. They were continually selling their possessions continually distributing the proceeds as people continually had needs. So it's just a constant thing. This is always going on in the early church. It's an amazing miracle of God. So spirit-filled churches are generous churches. And I just want to praise God for what he's doing at Living Waters. I just, I just want to praise God. Because they said, don't plant a church in South Des Moines. That's what they said 14 years ago. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And here we are. Not only reaching blue-collar neighborhoods, and we are a blue-collar church, praise the Lord. I love that about us. I love it. 
And God is doing miracles through the generosity of normal people like us. Praise the Lord, right? And every day the narrative is growing to the reality, to God's glory. The Holy Spirit is watering living waters so that we might be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. May we be winsomely generous as the Holy Spirit waters us. Third activity of the Holy Spirit is that he produced joyful increase in verse 46 and 47. Day by day, they attended the temple together and break, they broke bread and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. So first of all, you can see in verse 46 that they were attending the temple together and in their homes. So they were devoted, same word as verse 42, they were devoted to going to big church and to small groups. They had both. They were going to the temple and they were going to small groups. So can we just put something to rest right now? Some of you have been arrogantly saying that house church is better than big church, okay? Like small groups are way better than big church because big church, eh, it's, it's okay. Josh's sermons are below average. It's fine. I, I have to endure it every Sunday. But you know what's really where God's at? God's really in the house church. He's really in the small groups, man. That's where he's really at. And, and some of you are flip-flopped on that argument where you're just like, oh, it's big church, man. Big church is the greatest. Yeah, small groups, I don't really need to be a part of one. I can just go on Sundays and I just love the big worship. I love Brandon's music. I love all the stuff. It's big. I like the big. I don't like the small. Okay. Biblical, New Testament, Holy Spirit, causing the increase to happen, church. God is good with big church and he's good with small church. Amen? He likes both. They were going to the temple to get their corporate worship in and they were going house to house. And here's my encouragement to you. As, as a Holy Spirit-filled church, what we need to be is we need to be celebrating what the big gathering is and what the small gathering is. Not what they are not. So many times I hear comments of, well, yeah, church was great. Church was good. Except this, 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 this. Hey, pastor, want to hear all my reasons why church was bad this Sunday? I'll email them to you. Okay, thanks. Super encouraging, right? We know we're not the best. Okay, got that. How about we just celebrate what the corporate gathering is, not what it isn't? Man, let's just take joy that we're here together. We have health to come together to worship Jesus, to hear his word, to sing. Yeah, you may not get every nook and cranny conversation that you want on a Sunday morning, but you know what? You get something. Praise the Lord. And if you're at a small group, how about we stop complaining about what small group is and isn't? How about we just stop that and just rejoice that we're doing it at all? Praise the Lord, you have relationships where you can gather in somebody's home and somebody's opening their home for you to go and open the word of God together. And you know what? How about, let's not pick our small group leaders apart. How about we encourage them and hug them and tell them how much we appreciate what they're doing? Big church, small church? Yeah, I think the Bible likes both of them. So let's embrace both for what they are. John Stott, the great theologian said this. He said, certainly it is always healthy when the more formal and dignified services of the local church are complemented with the informality and exuberance of home meetings. There is no need to polarize between the structured and the unstructured, the traditional and the spontaneous. The church needs 
both. Amen. Now, they were doing that with glad hearts. They were going to church with glad hearts. The word glad means extreme joy, often accompanied by words or bodily movements such as jumping or smiling, etc. So they were going to church with happy hearts. They were actually glad to be at church. They were glad to be there. Why? Because when you discover something and the Holy Spirit is producing something inside you and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are going to be happy about that reality. If the wrath of Almighty God is off of you because of what Christ did for you and you are guaranteed eternity in heaven forever by simply believing in Jesus, that is the greatest news in the history of your life. So you might as well come to church with a smile, amen? You might as well go to small groups smiling even if you don't feel like it because God is good. Does that, does that negate trials and tribulations and darkness and, and, and bouts with, with the depression and anxiety? No, it doesn't, it doesn't steal away any of that. It just says we know through the struggle, through the valley of the shadow of death, there is a victorious God on the other end. And my end is going to be happy. Praise the Lord. No matter how awful my trial is. Christianity, broadly speaking, is a very happy religion. Very happy. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Amen? So, when you discover a new truth, it makes you happy. When you discover something new, and it's true, happy. And it could be the smallest thing. It could be the internet getting restored at your house. Praise God. They finally figured it out. After four weeks of phone calls, I have internet again. Hallelujah. Right? It could be small or big, but the greatest truth is the gospel. God's wrath was on me. Now, through faith in Christ and repentance, I know God through Christ. Me, wicked me, gets eternity. I can go to church happy. Nobody did this better than Sean Nielsen. Nobody at our church. And if you knew Seaner from back in the day, he passed away seven years ago, eight years ago. He was one of the most joyful, special needs guys I've ever met. He was my friend. He was my close friend. He, he became the church mascot at Living Waters. And he was just so exuberant with joy. He would come and find me at church. Josh, Doug, where are you at, man? Hey, Josh, Josh, Josh. He, he'd bring me close. And he'd say, hey, you know what I haven't done for a while? What, what have you not done for a while, Sean? I, I haven't got to go on stage with you in a while. <laughs> Would you like to go on stage, Sean? Yeah, I went to John 3.16. Okay, let's make it happen, Sean. But Sean was just oozing joy. Many of you can learn lessons from him. Like, you got joy. There's joy in Jesus. I don't care what you're walking through. There is joy joy at the feet of Christ. And so they went to church with glad hearts and generous hearts. There was no, um, that word means smoothness. There was no jagged edge to the disciples' love for Christ or love for each other. And they were praising God and having favor with all the people. The word praising God means to sing. So they were singing. There was a, they were singing people. There was an ancient Brandon Hebron walking the streets of Jerusalem, just 
you know, token on his guitar here. And he was singing. And the church was singing. Why? Because they were committed. They were all in. The most joyful Christians are all in with the word, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And they know that. And it's okay. And we're going to worship Jesus. And we're happy about our commitments to Christ. Godly singing was happening. And finally, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were seeing evangelistic addition on a regular basis because their joy in the Lord was so tangible and the power of the Holy Spirit was producing faith in people who were looking on. Souls were continuously being saved. Can we say that about living waters? Oh, may God make it true always and forever that people are coming to Christ on a steady basis. That is the sign of a spirit-filled church, that people are coming to Christ. People are getting saved. And I thank God for our church and how we reach out. And I thank God for the people that are getting the gospel shared with them right now by many of you and by me and others. I'm so thankful for that. That is a sign of life to me. That we are a spirit-filled church. That we are seeing people come to Christ. And the Lord was adding to their number. You see who's the author of salvation? The Lord was adding to their number. Praise the Lord. So as we go to communion, the Holy Spirit planted devotion, watered with generosity, and produced a joyful increase. May God make it true with us this morning. We're going to go to communion. I'm going to pray, and you'll have about 10 minutes just to do business with God. It's a time of confession, confess sin. It's a time to get right with God and with others. If you've got a beef with somebody else, this is a good time to get it right. In fact, I would encourage you not to take communion until you get things right with brother or sister in Christ. By God's grace, you should think through what communion is, remembering what Christ did for you. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I would just, if you're religious, you're like, oh yeah, I'll do the communion thing just to check the religious box. Don't do that. Don't do that. The Bible says you will heap judgment on yourself if you take communion in an unworthy manner. So don't do that. Don't mess around with God. It's dangerous. But communion is a special, special moment for us as Christians. So let's meditate. Let's do business with God. I'll I'll pray. After about 10 minutes or so, we will partake of the elements together. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Holy Spirit, thank you for planting the church and watering the church and producing in the church great things for your glory. Thank you that this New Testament church is such an encouragement to us in this day. Lord, may we be joyfully courageous to stand for the gospel and preach the gospel in the midst of a culture that is moving farther and farther away from your good grace. So Lord, as we go to communion, may our hearts be right, may our minds be right, may we confess sin, may we get things square with you. And may we enjoy the experience of having fellowship with Jesus. Lord, give us gladness and generous hearts. And Lord, if there's even one person who's not saved, may this be the moment where they repent and have faith. So Lord, guide us as we go to communion in Christ's name. Amen.